Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, 2001, A Space Odyssey. In the year 2001, space exploration was not as profitable as bombing the Middle East. (laughs) (laughs) What, What does 2001 have to do with this movie? Was it made in 1968? Uh, sorry, there's no response to such a dumb question. I was trying to think it's 2020 now. Day. You're stuck in the past. You're stuck in the past. It's 2020. This is the first episode for we've done in 2020 for 2001 A Space Odyssey. I mean, you can't really talk about sci-fi without covering this one. So, no. if anything, we're a bit late. Yeah. Uh, introductions. This is Matt. This is Luke. You've come to the... Sci-fi sanctuary. So I didn't want to overlap So you always you. do your name first. So then I do my name, so it feels like you should do the Welcome to the Sanctuary. Yeah, but last time it was like we said it together and it sounded really lame. Oh, did it? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's not do that. <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, this is sort of the, the quintessential sci-fi flick. Um, I think uh, Stanley Kubrick, the director's intention here was there hasn't been like a real science fiction movie, so it, I'm going to make that. You're watching it and there's like, there's a lot of money on the screen in this film. <laughs> like more so than even the like Star Wars sequels. Yeah, um, I was looking at a statistic on Wiki yesterday though. It said this has about two hundred and ten effect shots. Mm. Uh, a New Hope, Star Wars Episode Four, whatever. Star Wars has something like three hundred thirty-three or something. Mm. And then um, yeah, but that's because shots in this film last for four minutes each. Yeah, okay. So. <laughs> and then Attack of the Clones looked like two thousand. No, no, it was, yeah. actually, no, it was Revenge of the Sith they had cited. Um, okay, but let's say, there is not a single effect shot in this film that looks bad. No, they all look good. <laughs> all of the Star Wars films, even the good Star Wars films, have some which are a bit ropey. If you're really paying attention, though, you can catch a little bit. Uh, the panther's eyes in the beginning shines because of some uh, front-lit projection thing. Um, when, when the lady on the, the space airplane gets the pin, you can actually see it coming off of glass a little. Oh. But you really have to be looking for that. You have to yeah, know yeah, yeah. to look for it. Um, yeah, but yeah. yeah. It, it, honestly, that makes you appreciate the effect more. Yeah. So well, now, Also, I love seeing films with effects from before you know how all the effects were done. I still don't know how half of these were done. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that, why that's so what good. I mean. But today, it's just like, oh, someone did that on a computer. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, which I have no idea how someone... Like, they... They must have built, like, enormous rotating sets, right? They did. (laughs) But then there's, like, characters on different parts of it. So are they, like, is it, like, split screening? Is one of them just got really strong abs and they're pretending to lie down? I think they kind of just run right in and lie when they can. Because, yeah, it was a centrifuge. But, Uh, I mean, there are shots where in the same shot you can see one guy upside down and another guy... 
Oh, and then it rotates right, and right, shit like right. That. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. They made it's, they, yeah, it's really well done. They did some cool stuff. That's I guess what we're getting into. Um, I first saw this pretty young. Uh, we taped it off television. I saw it in like pan and scan. And then I had my mind blown again when it came out in widescreen VHS and I could see the whole thing. And um, and then uh, I put in my notes here, actually it was 2001, like shortly after 9-11, my friend and I, we went up to New York City and um, right off Times Square, they're showing like a restored 70 millimeter film print of this. Oh, oh, I see and my friend hated it. <laughs> he's, he's still pissed about it a little bit. Um, and then several years later, when I met my wife, I tried to sh- show it to her, and she couldn't get past the monkeys. So <laughs> everyone I show this film to hates it. <laughs> like, we talked about this a little with um, Star Trek The Motion Picture, right? That it's a very slow, ponderous kind of sci-fi, and you have to be in the right mood and the right kind of person. Oh, and that was nothing compared to this. No, <laughs> no. Although this does have the most notable jump cut ever. <laughs> Several, right? <laughs> it does have notable jump cuts, even if it's slow. Um, but for me, I think Interstellar sort of replaced this movie for me, uh, for getting ready for his podcast was the first time I think I've watched it since Interstellar. Cause when I'm in the mood for this kind of sci-fi now, I'm going to put on Interstellar. I feel a little more of an emotional connection to Interstellar. How so? In that I actually feel for the characters and stuff in that one. And it takes me on a, whereas this one is, I love it, but it's a very sort of academic, intellectual appreciation. Well, you're supposed to feel for Hal. He's the only human character in the movie. <laughs> no, I, was, I mean, we'll get into this later, but I feel like there is no main character in this film. The main character is humanity. Yeah, pretty Whereas much. Whereas Interstellar does star a couple of actual human characters you're meant to identify with. Yeah, although if we really did want to put a star in here, I guess uh, Keir, Keir Dalla, I don't know if I'm saying his name right or not, but as uh, Dave Bowman. Dave Bowman? Is, I mean, yeah. he's, on the, he's on the box of the DVD. In the... Yeah, his like segment is, I think, the longest, but... Yeah. You're like, there's an hour of film before he's even on screen. Like. Yeah. And uh, Douglas Rain, as the voice of Hal, almost counts as a star. I but guess Hal is like, very, I was going to say the most, but every single shot of this film is like, iconic and memorable yeah. and parodied to death. So um, Another fun fact is Keir Dollar and Douglas Rain have never met or talked to each other. Mm. When they were doing this movie, they had someone else like just on set, apparently in a Cockney accent, talking, <laughs> talking to them, uh, doing Hal's lines. And then they got um, some someone in the UK to, to do Hal's lines, but he Kubrick thought he was too emotional. Mm. So he got uh, Douglas Rain, who had done a uh, voiceover for a Canadian documentary called The Universe several years earlier. He, okay. he is Canadian. And um, so he did his lines in post-production. And right. then later, when they did 2010, the only returning ones were Douglas Rain and Kiridala. Um, they did Douglas Rain in pre-production, so the, <laughs> the two have never even met. Wow. <laughs> but they have such iconic uh, exchanges with each other. <laughs> but, I mean, even in um, Wrath of Khan, Kirk and Khan never met. Yeah, they but met they, in Spacey. I've did before and after, but... Yeah, yeah. they met in Spacey. They're on the same, yeah. yeah. I mean, the actors or whatever. But yeah, I thought it was very interesting, those two. Oh, and the other Star Trek uh, connection. Recognize anyone? I didn't, but I'm sure I will when you tell me. Frank Poole is Gary Lockwood, who is in the second pilot for the original series. He's ah. the guy that gains the god powers and goes oh, wow, yeah, nuts. I recognize that. <laughs> but that's him. Just, it's been a long time since I watched, like, TOS, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's very good in it. He's almost, like, too good, because uh, that, that's uh, where No Man Has Gone Before, and the... Uh, Oh, oh! the female actress in there ended up playing, like, Hot Lips in the MASH movie. So she was huh. also... And, yeah, she was also of note. So, 
Yeah. My history of this film is basically very similar to yours. I saw it... Because my parents are big sci-fi fans, so I definitely watched it a couple times as a kid. Couldn't really get into it. And then I remember in middle school, I read all four of the books. I got them out from the school library. And that was around the time that I became a boring, tedious nerd. And then I watched this film several times. I loved it. <laughs> now, here's a case where I haven't read the books. <laughs> uh, don't. Okay. They're good, <laughs> but they explain too much. Yeah, that's the impression I got. Oh, it's the beauty of this film is that it doesn't explain anything. <laughs> I guess we do need to talk Arthur C. Clarke a little bit. Um, this uh, apparently was... The original idea was to have it sort of be like an anthology film. Mm. With the final bit being Arthur C. Clarke's late 40s story, The Sentinel, where they okay. discover the monolith on the moon, which is now, you know, like in the first third of the movie. Yeah. Um, and Arthur C. Clarke um, lived most of his life in Sri Lanka. Huh. Yeah. So uh, I saw when Kubrick started the dialogue between them and apparently sent him a telegram being like, hey, I'm Kubrick. He, like introduced himself for some reason. Like, I made Dr. Strangelove and Paths of Glory. And um, I want to work with you, but I heard you're a recluse. And the response was like, what, what, why did you hear I was a recluse? <laughs> <laughs> it's because I live in a different country. That makes me a recluse. Uh, so, so I guess we can both identify But Kubrick did too. <laughs> Kubrick, Kubrick moved to the UK and he, he, didn't, he would not fly. He never left. Uh, all of his movies are made in the UK. Huh. <laughs> uh, this is all shot in uh, Pinewood Studios, I believe. That makes sense. Except the, the only shot is um, the the, the Africa bashing scene. the bone scene where yeah. they got the sky that they'd have to stop when the when the planes came by or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm chock full of trivia today, man. <laughs> um, one other thing I, I mentioned not seeing this in widescreen for a long time, and this movie really needs to be seen in widescreen. Oh yeah. But Kubrick's other films are kind of an argument, especially uh, Full Metal Jacket and The Shining. Mm. At that point in time, he shot full frame right. with the idea he'd make it widescreen later, like Matt, oh, uh, he, no, top and bottom. Right. But he still composed for the full frame. He didn't get a boom mic in there or anything. So some people are like, no, you should actually watch in like well, old school sense, right? TV academy framing because that's how he shot it. Although his intention was to have it shown in a theater. Yeah, but if that's most of the picture, then you want to see the full picture, right? It's like, full sense. metal picture, yeah. <laughs> Um, that's the, so that's the only Arthur C. Clarke I've read. I don't think I've read any. I, I, as I've said several times, I've uh, mainlined Asimov in Star Trek yeah. novels. But I've heard about some of his other stuff, and I do kind of want to, I've just never got around to it. Your Childhood's End, I uh, understand. That's, that's is, the one I've heard. Yeah, about, yeah, yeah. And, and sort of has a similar ending yeah. vibe to this of, I guess, um, like that's going ending. to the next level yeah. of evolution or whatever. And then with Kubrick, obviously I've seen this. Shining, and a long time ago, Strange Love. I think that's all I've seen of his. Clockwork? No. No. Okay. Yeah. And no Full Metal Jacket. Nope. Oh, okay. Eyes wide shut. Need to. Nope. Okay. Spartacus. Oh, I've seen Spartacus. There I didn't he even is. Know that was him. That's him. Oh wow. That's him as a studio guy. Right. I think. I think maybe he was still in America when he made that. But that was no, pretty I old he... and pretty. It's not so like. What's the word I'm looking for? Kubricky? Yeah, I guess. It doesn't have that perfectionist thing. Uh, well, so and also it's just the plot is pretty basic and, yeah, you know, has goodies and baddies and stuff. Legend, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Kubrick was, like, the cinematographer was not happy working this film because uh, he said, well, Kubrick would give me the entire setup and I just liked the thing. Right. Like, he was so involved in everything in here uh, that yeah. he was kind of pissing people off. <laughs> but, it, well paid off <laughs> um, there is some trivia and things about the music but I thought we'd save that for a little bit oh, of course. So, like, like, we've 
talked uh, probably more than we ever have about the film before getting into the thing. Just want to go on one quick tangent there. You mentioned Spartacus. Are you familiar with the children's TV show Lazy Town? I'm not. It's the one with Sportacus. Ooh, he plays sports, does he? I guess. He's just a fit guy who is a big crap superhero. But they occasionally do live shows, right? And my dream was to get a whole bunch of people to buy tickets all around the stadium. And when he first appeared, we would stand up in the audience and go, No! I am Sportacus! <laughs> That'd be fine. <laughs> Well, last, I think one of the main guys from that died recently, so uh, not to be. Put it down around things. Anyway, we got to get you somber because we're going to tell you the plot now, I guess. Engage. The dawn of man. In the distant past, the monkey forebearers of humans beat the living tar out of each other. A strange black singing monolith suddenly appears to one of these groups. One of the primates dares to touch it and gains the knowledge to beat the tar out of the other tribes with bone weapons. Giant jump cut and those bones have evolved to nuclear weapon satellites. Among these orbiting marvels, Dr. Haywood Floyd is on the way to the moon and quite tight-lipped about why. He becomes chattier once he reaches the Clavia space, located on the moon's surface. A strange black monolith has been found nearby, excavated from under the surface of the moon. It seems it had been buried there four million years prior. Floyd and his team eat some sandwiches, pose for some tourist photos with the monolith, and then they get their ears blasted out by a screeching sound emanating from the monolith. Jupiter mission, 18 months later. The spaceship Discovery is on its way to the giant gas giant Jupiter. Three of its crew were put into hibernation before the flight, which is unusual. Dr. Frank Poole and Dr. Dave Bowman are awake and manning the mission with the assistance of the HAL 9000 supercomputer. Amidst the mind-crushing boredom of the space voyage, HAL detects that an integral part of their communications array is about to fail. The astronauts retrieve it through EVA, but find nothing wrong with the component. They are concerned about HAL's mistake and have a candid, secret conversation about HAL in a pod. Secret, except for one of Hal's optic sensors reading their lips through the front window. Intermission. Poole and Bowman consult with Mission Control and decide to put the component back and see if it really does fail. While on the second EVA, though, Hal cuts Poole's oxygen supply, killing him. Bowman gets into a second pod, hurrying enough to neglect bringing his helmet. While he retrieves Poole's body... Hal shuts off life support for the three hibernating crewmates. He also won't open the pod bay doors for Dave, who cannot EVA without his helmet and re-enters the Discovery through a daring decompression maneuver. The first thing he does is don a helmet and disconnect Hal. 
This triggers a video revealing the mission's true meaning. It turns out the ear-piercing blast from the monolith on the moon was in fact a transmission aimed at Jupiter, and Discovery is to look into that. Jupiter and beyond the infinite. Arriving into the vicinity of Jupiter, Bowman takes the last pod and pilots it towards another black monolith floating in space. Bowman finally encounters the monolith one more time as a very elderly man in a Victorian-styled space holiday inn and becomes a space baby or something. Falling apart at any moment, just doing my Keith Moon impression. Could dial 322 for a skunk and bones to live through interesting times again. Visions of Gaza flourishing in green, faces of kings and mountains I'd see. both assumed the other one would do the intro. Yeah. <laughs> so, weird thing. That is probably the longest film we've covered yet. But your intro is pretty short. Because yeah. there's a lot of time spent on very small amounts of specific action. Yeah, I think the first 28 minutes of this movie have no dialogue. The last 23, uh, not counting the ending credits, have no dialogue. And the dialogue that is in the movie, you could pretty much fit on like a single note card. It's pretty sparse, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, we ragged on the holiday special for having 20 minutes of monkey noises at the start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they were just hanging around the house as like a sitcom. This at least has like some epic things going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Clearly joking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, while we're triviating, um, when at the beginning in Africa, they just filmed a bunch of photographs. Oh, for real? <laughs> it's, it's not second unit or anything. They just <laughs> photographs. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> and then and then when you have the we should Okay, I did I had to say monkey forebearers, but yes, we know they're not monkeys, they are uh apes. Yeah, yeah. Australopithecus or something like they that. They were supposed to be a little less hairy, but that would have required the actors basically uh, running around naked and then you wouldn't right. have a G rating anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how did this uh get a G rating? Um I mean it has a few dams, a few hells, like four people get murdered. Oh five if we count the uh the um Apex early ape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's not, like, explicitly gory or anything, right? And, like, with the swearing, I'm sure they just sort of... The censors probably dozed off and didn't notice. Yeah, like, hell, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> the murders are pretty cold. It has quite a bit of existential dread. <laughs> I would, that's the main, main thing I want to talk about, right? These aliens, to me, are way more terrifying than alien. You never see them. Right, but, I mean, I feel like films recently have forgotten how scary space and aliens can be <laughs> just unknowable immense powerful things right like lovecraftian space is terrifying but these days aliens like they show up and we can kill them with our guns and maybe there's a bit of a battle and they're slightly more advanced but this is an omnipotent force like yeah. it's creepier in q because at least you get to talk to q in star trek <laughs> right yeah q his power is immense but his goals are pretty human right he's just there to fuck around <laughs> yeah I, I think the closest star trek gets is maybe the probe in voyage home 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, the monolith seems, a, I mean, it's a little more benign. The murderous thing here is the oh, yeah, uh, yeah, apes and how. It's not, um, it's not scary because it's evil or villainous. It's scary because it's unknowable, right? Yeah. The original... But even the, the probe in Star Trek, it wasn't deliberately attacking Earth, right? It was trying to communicate and was just too powerful. True, true. And the whales weren't responding. And I, I believe the sequel gets a little more intimidating. The book? Or the movie. Both. Which, oh, would... sequel. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant sequel to Star Trek Four. Oh, no, no, no. no. Sequel to 2001 right. being 2010. I, I have not was... seen the film of 2010. We'll get to that. You've read the book. I've seen the movie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> John Lithgow's pretty hip in it. Was that Kubrick? No. Right. <laughs> Kubrick doesn't make sequels. Oh, that's uh, what I mean. That's why I've not That really... was the only sequel to a Kubrick film until uh, last year when Doctor they Sleep. made Dr. Sleep. Yes, which yep. I haven't seen. Um, Excuse me for a second with last year because I forgot that we're like four days into January. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, they actually were intending to put some kind of alien into this movie for quite some time. They, they spoke with Carl Sagan for advice huh. who said, well... You, can't, you shouldn't have like a humanoid looking alien. You should have it like something completely different or you just shouldn't show it. So right. after a premiere, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm glad you took my advice. That's why Jaws works too, right? They're, they couldn't get the shark to work, so you barely, you barely see, see it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why Alien is the scariest. You barely see the alien in Alien. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's, um, it's why most Doctor Who villains are scariest in their first appearance. The first time you don't see it much. But then once you've seen it, and every time they bring it back for an episode, it's in the screen to way too much. Yeah, I mean, the, the, now the Daleks are like, yeah, it's the Daleks! Yeah, you're excited Dalek episode, but, you know, kids were hiding behind the sofa back in the 60s, like in 2005 when we first got one back. Yeah, there's still a few Doctor Who's out there that'll, that'll do that. Well, but, like the, the Angels, right, is the recent one. That first Angels episode scared the shit out of everyone. Yeah. And now you see oh, them move yeah. and stuff, and they're just, they're just another I alien think, to destroy. I think I only saw it up to the second one. Because there's one with Tennant and there's one with Matt Smith, right? Yeah, I think And those so. are the first two. Yeah, yeah. Those are the only two I've seen them. Maybe not... Have I seen the Tennant one? I don't know. Why am I talking about no, that? the Tennant one is the one where he's barely in it, right? And it's... Yeah. I, I, you know, um... I think I haven't seen the Tennant one. Don't blink, that shit. Yeah, I think I haven't seen the Tennant one. Oh, really? Yeah. Right. And so I saw the second one only. Why am I talking about this? Uh, 2001. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not seeing... I mean, we see the monolith, which is... Um, it, here's a few uh, okay a lot of people now are like oh that's your iPhone right <laughs> right the other fun thing about the monolith pulling out my iPhone for a visual demonstration on an audio podcast here's your monolith okay you're watching the movie through the monolith if you turn it horizontally yeah you could look at it that way uh, they they had a thought of maybe having the monolith have images like showing the apes how to build the weapons right although touching it and gaining the knowledge is way cooler yeah yeah, yeah. the <laughs> monolith is great because it is just a fucking monolith right it's a god isn't it yeah and the music with it as well yeah, that yeah. scream basically the music is just shrieking <laughs> but it's effective it's is, really is now upsetting. the time to do the music a bit that's a notable part of the film it's probably the most noble yeah um the the score there was a score written by Alex North. I think he did Spartacus. Okay, right. Um, and he wrote the first half and then went to Kubrick. And he was like, well, the second half's not really going to need music. <laughs> but it seems Kubrick is always kind of thinking he was just going to put the classical stuff in. So uh, right. Alex's North score uh, was scrapped. He used it for a few later ones. And I think there's been a few recordings of his 2001 score. And it's fine, but it's not this one, right. which is uh, fantastic. Uh, we have the two Strausses. That confused the hell of me, out of me as a kid, because the opening 
theme is Richard Strauss, the, the bad boy of uh, late 19th century opera, whereas the Watts's are uh, Joseph Strauss uh, about 80 years earlier and having no relation. Oh, what? <laughs> so it's, it's confusing. Um, the other big... But who, who is, like, the one we're talking about now, the Eternal... Yeah, yeah, that's Ligeti. Right. Um, Georgi Ligeti, uh, I'm not quite sure I'll say his name. Um, yeah, he didn't know they were using his music in this. Huh. <laughs> he found out by seeing a screening in Prague. Um, <laughs> he actually did a lawsuit because not... I mean, obviously, the music's awesome here, so that wasn't the problem. But they um, at the end, in the, the Victorian Holiday Inn, there's yeah. the... Uh, that is a piece called Adventures, and they cut it, and he wasn't happy about that. So that's how he decided to go after <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I but, guess um, I remember when Godzilla, the 2014 film, came out. The first trailer they showed was, you know, the parachute scene where they're jumping down. Yeah, yeah. It was that scene, basically, with this music. With the Ligeti. Yeah. Eternal stuff. With that. And, like, all you can hear is that and the breathing, like, the space scenes in this. Yeah. And that's why everyone thought, oh, this film might be legit. This might be good. And then it actually was not. So Which watching this again just made me angry about that Godzilla film all over again. Yeah. When they're first on the ship, they, they have the very depressing string quartet music as they're just going around doing their yeah, yeah, duties. Yeah. What if it had been, like, like the Jetsons, right? Like, yeah, really. That's just... I was thinking, like... I kind of want to try those just, like, four different coloured pastes that they have for dinner. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> oh, that didn't look good. <laughs> yeah, but you want to try it. And that's just, I mean, that's how important music is to a film. Uh, yeah. Another Kubrick one would be The Shining with, like, just that awesome dark score. Right. And, and you can watch the uh, cut where they turn into a romantic comedy on the internet. <laughs> You've seen that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, da going to be together, family. And, and you know, it changes it. So you could do that here pretty Easily, well, especially as well. when for long portions of the film, there's no other sound. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, this is one of the few space films where space actually is silent, except for the breathing done by Kubrick because he's a mono maniacal control freak. That's his breathing you're hearing <laughs> but every it's time. Very effective. So yeah. Anyway, that's yeah, that's him the whole time. <laughs> Again, but it by making it huge and silent, it makes space scary. Yes. Like it should be, right? Yes. Oh, space will kill you real quick. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, Dr. McCoy's whole thing. <laughs> um, oh, when they go to the moon, a couple... So, obviously, we already talked about the effects being awesome. Mm. Um, the moon itself, you know, this was done two years before the moon landing. Maybe using props from this. But, but the two things that were very different in the actual moon landing is... Um, <laughs> None of them walk with the gate you have to walk with on the moon because it's right. got one-sixth gravity. They didn't know that when they made this. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no one had tried walking at lower gravity, right? But, and, and that would have made perfect sense with the astronauts going around and taking tourist photos around the monolith. But yeah. how funny would it have been if they were walking like that in the conference room on Clavia Space too? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, kind of should have been, right? <laughs> exactly. That would have been amazing. So, See, um, But then they did do the woman who's walking with the, the stick-on shoes. The Velcro, yeah. And she did that really well. That sort of like... Walking as if she's... That's another attached. revolving set. No, I don't, at that point, I don't think it was. No, the right. camera's fixed, and it's a moving tube. The first one, where she comes and picks up the pen? Oh, not with the pen, I'm sorry. When she's um, moving, going into the uh, control room. No, yeah, I just mean when he's, he's asleep. But yeah, that's all just her physical acting. Oh, right, right. Creates right. the illusion that she's right. walking. Well, I'm the sure tube. Kubrick would have made them walk like that if he knew. But it yeah, was yeah, sixty-seven yeah, when they're sixty-six, sixty-seven when they were filming. So he didn't know that. Yeah. Also, the surface of the moon 
while looking pretty accurate, um, is the mountains don't look quite right because they hadn't been they, like they hadn't even sent a probe yet yeah, yeah, to yeah. the surface. So, right. Uh, the you know it looks very good, but yeah, the mountains are still a little kind of fifty sci-fi looking rather than yeah, yeah. what we actually see on the moon. Well, because there's no like tectonic action on the moon, so it doesn't really have this kind of mountains. It's right. all craterous. Might be hollow like a bell when they crash. Things, it, oh. <laughs> it vibrates like a bell. Not to go back to Doctor Who again, but there's a Matt Smith episode. No, it's a Peter Capaldi episode. The moon is an egg, and it hatches, and a dragon comes out. <laughs> oh, anyway, the egg part might be on target. The dragon might be a little off, but. Uh... <laughs> That's, yeah, one of the really insane ones. Well, the whole idea that the Earth is not hollow comes from the uh, Cavendish um, experiment. Do you know what this is? No. That is where people simply decide, okay, rocks falling from space have an iron core and rock outside. Therefore, the Earth must have an iron core and rock outside. That's all we're basing that on. I'm sure there's been a lot of other experiments. No, everyone just says Cavendish experiment. They go back to that. That, that is still the main one because no, we've only gone, what, like, 20 kilometers boring into the earth. Mm. So the fact is, nowhere knows what's in there. Well, it is hollow because that's where, like, Godzilla and everyone lives. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, just that is a pretty much an assumption based on not particularly solid I mean, science. I knew with this film this is what we were going to be getting ourselves into. <laughs> but Matt's already said that A, the earth is hollow and B, the moon landings were faked. What else have you No, I just gave me? you the two notes that the moon landing was not faked because you didn't get it right here. Uh, as far as the earth being hollow, that's still up for debate. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. One more. This is not even trying to tell you the moon landing is fake, but Kirdala and Neil Armstrong look awfully similar. Oh, that's just the square-jawed American hero, right? <laughs> I guess, but they look awfully similar. It's just weird. You know, I can't picture Neil Armstrong's face that easily. You got a phone. I can picture Buzz Aldrin. He looks grumpier. No, no. But, but just because he does more appearances and stuff, right? Just think of Dave Bowman. You have yeah. Neil Armstrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not like, arguing with your saying he looks. I'm just saying, when I close my eyes, I can very easily picture Buzz. I can't picture Neil. Hmm. Although my hero is always going to be Michael Collins. Because he stayed in the ship? Yeah, like, what a fucking... To be part of that mission would be the guy who doesn't get to go on the moon. <laughs> yeah, but did he get to go eventually? No. He never walked on the moon? Uh, the first man in space, um, American in space, excuse me, um, yeah. Alan Shepard, he, he did get a moon mission. Ah. Um, who else got a, a... They didn't send... There was like six or so in the end, right? Uh, I want to say ten. Ah. Let's see, eleven, twelve, thirteen didn't make it, fourteen, fifty, sixty. 16, 16, I think it was, 16 or 17 met the Soviets, so maybe huh? 10 to the moon. Okay. Um, and they didn't send a scientist until the last trip. <laughs> <laughs> right, but that's because doing it was difficult enough on its own. Yeah, right? they needed to get through, but yeah, the, the pilots. It was it Schiff? I'm not quite sure. I might, I might begin the name wrong. Yeah, they, the last one actually did send a proper, like, doctoral um, geologist, but that's the other thing. Um, it's Dr. Dave Moment and Dr. Frank Poole and all those guys under are also doctors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone on the Discovery is scientists. Are scientists. Oh, it makes sense. So for me, there are two very important things which have come in the wake of 2001 A Space Odyssey. The f uh, two masterpieces. Um, there's Space Oddity by David Bowie. Oh, yeah. Great track. Wouldn't exist without that pun. <laughs> hey, uh, I know you got the second one, but have you heard the... Uh, he was originally part of a trio, Bowie. 
Oh. And um, he only sang Major Tom's parts. Ground Control is a different guy. Ah, I don't think so. It's like, it's like it's like Ground Control to Major. They actually just released one on a Bowie box, but uh, ah. <laughs> yeah, it's just it was supposed to actually be a conversation between two singers. The other guy quit, and well, we got we got a perfect song. To yeah, honest, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then of course the other one is Homer Simpson floating through space. Eating the potato chips. Oh, that's fantastic! And I thought you were just going to say Interstellar there. What? What? But <laughs> what are the actual um, success, successors to this? Uh, contact. Well, I mean, no, I'm t- I'm intellectually. Intellectually, okay, yeah. Contact is a big one, and Interstellar. I think recently Arrival, although I've not seen that yet. Um, I felt that was more of a Close Encounters. Okay. Here, here, maybe we'll but watch even it. Close Encounters, a bit. A, a bit, but I felt I felt much more Close Encounters with Arrival, but it's like Close Encounters with all that Technicolor sucked out. Okay. Which is why, honestly, it wasn't my favorite movie. Yeah, but I've heard that it has some interesting ideas. So it does. I can see where you'd like it. Um, again, like, everyone I try and show like this it, movie to like. hates it. Right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I like it, so, you know, it's, it's you know, different cups of tea for different strokes and different folks. Okay, well, I mean, a lot of sci-fi does the... There were ancient aliens who influenced the development of human culture, right? Stargate, but I wouldn't call that a 2001 successor. No, but but 2001, I think, is what brought that idea into Mm. the mainstream consciousness. I'm not saying it created it, but I'm saying it made it very mainstream. About the same time as this movie, um, Eric Von Donegan, he's a writer... Mm-hmm. He's a researcher, right? Right. But he wrote uh, Chariots of the Gods. He, uh, oh, I, I, yeah, yeah. He, he wrote it about the same time. Now, Stargate, you know, that's all the, like the Anunnaki sort of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like Stargate takes from that strain and not so much the 2001 strain. Oh, yeah. If you're trying to present it as a serious idea, then, yeah, it's the Chariots of the Gods and the, you know, History Channel Ancient Aliens Maniacs. Right. But I think just as a pop culture idea... The concept became popular because it's film. Yeah. And that, yeah, Stargate obviously is a big one. Halo and Mass Effect both really lean into that as well. Into what? The, uh, the, the ancient aliens. aliens. Okay, I was about to say, because they don't feel like 2001. No, 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 no but just this idea, I think 2001 introduced. Oh, um. This... Uh, oh, motion picture. I was about to say, the yeah. 70s have a lot. Uh, when we started the Sci-Fi Sanctuary, my first idea was 70s Sci-Fi Sanctuary. You know, the theme song kind of betrays that, right? Yeah. And you're like, eh, let's do more. And that's a, I think that's a good idea. But I was thinking of all these, like, um, 2001 Afterburner movies, you well, know? I, again, that's something I'm interested in watching a lot of. Yeah. Because I don't remember the names of any of these films, but I definitely watched a lot of them on TV as a kid. Well, I mentioned in our Star Trek um motion picture episode that um, Douglas Trumbull did the effects for that and a lot of people did the motion picture of course but yeah. Douglas Trumbull was the supervisor and he's also the supervisor in this film okay uh, an- another one in Close Encounters okay <laughs> it just Look, tra- tra- all films who have space stuff that still looks excellent so. the, there's one other you I don't know if you know this movie do you know Silent Running Yes, that's one of the ones I was trying to remember. Also Douglas Trumbull. Right. That's one we need to put on the list. Yes. Um, Um, I had Silent Running and Logan's Run mixed up in my head. Yeah. So when I got to Logan's Run and saw the shit robot. <laughs> oh, yeah, they got the, the, the cool, silent running yeah, robots. They got the cool robots. Also, um, <laughs> especially when I get to the esoteric and hermetic weird crap, which Cooper very likely was into, mm. um, they were supposed to be going to Saturn. Right. But they couldn't recreate the rings at this time. Oh. Uh, so Silent Running was Douglas Trimble, who directed that movie, actually. And oh. like, um, hey, I can make the rings now. Oh, but, um Yeah, there's all this, you know. Oh, but um, that's weird, because in the books, the fact that it's Jupiter actually does become important. 
Because, because later they turn Jupiter into a second star and make it a binary solar system. That's the trippy thing about Saturn. That there's esoteric myth or whatever saying yeah, that Saturn, Saturn used to right. be a sun. Huh. You know, as, as a light giver. It's Lucifer. Saturn's Lucifer. Um, weird things that actually do exist is there's this bizarre uh, storm at its North Pole, I think. Right. It's shaped like a hexagon. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is weird. Yeah, yeah, Saturn is a weird planet. The rings themselves are weird. Yeah, um, and Saturn and Jupiter swap moons sometimes, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, you were talking about the... Do they? Huh? I didn't know that. I, don't, I, don't, <laughs> I, I say it. I always say that like it's super regular. It's like something that's happened once or something. But yeah, I think they have swapped moons. Okay. Um, but where was I? Uh, Saturn... Lucifer! Lucifer! Oh, yes, yes, the, the Luke and Matt. I don't even know whose name is first on our podcast. Um, <laughs> for our bingo card, uh, Asimov. One of the things when they finally do find the original planet, which is our system, yeah. um, the thing is, you're going to find this planet with giant rings in it. That's like impossible. So when they find the system, they find Saturn, they're oh, this actually is that system. Because huh. the rings are so weird in, the case, in that case. Right. Oh, yeah, I guess... When you watch sci-fi, they often put rings on planets because it's a cool look. It does look cool. But do we know that there are other planets with them? Um, well, no. Or is ne- it super-duper rare? Neptune and your anus have rings. Ah. Um, I mean, thin rings. That's the normal kind of ring, not those insane, like, record Have you know spinning. that my anus has a very thick ring? It's <laughs> 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 not being worn down. I used to teach environmental education. Uh, kids would come to our, our outdoor center for, like, two or three days and we do an astronomy lesson at night and when we were doing the planets I'd always just like you know these are like 11, 12, 13 year olds so I'd always talk about the planet Uranus! <laughs> and then no one would ever laugh about it again. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a good move. Make it uncool to laugh at Uranus. Now the other time at the, when the kids really did laugh at me have I ever told you this story? The tree one? Yeah. Yeah, you love telling this story. I'm going to tell this story, yeah. I don't so, think you've told it on this podcast. I haven't. So knock yourself out. We, we, um, we did sketches for the kids, you know, teaching about environment. I, we're supposed to be teaching about erosion. So we have the, uh, this whole costume of costume of closets, closet of costumes. So I have this foam tree, you stick your head in the middle of the pine tree. And we're supposed to be like Forrest Gump, right? I'm sitting on the bench, like, talking to people about erosion. So I'm doing that voice. And I'm like, where's my erosion going? Where's my erosion? Anyway, when I sit down on this bench, the trunk of the tree pops up and out of my crotch. The, the other side's foam, so it looks very fleshy colored. <laughs> and I'm like, these kids really think this sketch is funny. <laughs> and afterwards, I'm sitting at the computer in the office and the, and, um, the, the supervisor, she wasn't, director or whatever. She goes, you know what that looked like? I said, no, I look like. You know why they're laughing? Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. See, I have the opposite story from when I did that demonstration at work the other day. And I made the... Uh, I wasn't there the other day. Well, me. this was like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, you were there. Okay. When right. I made the adult video joke. Oh, right. right. <laughs> and, and, and like, a couple of my colleagues were like... Oh, oh, sorry, I should have thrown in. This was, this was a practice, a practice demo. demo. There were the, no kids. No, no kids. real children. No real children. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I was doing them and it's like... Oh, my, yesterday my father watched DVDs. I was like, oh, did you watch them with him? No. I was like, oh, they must have been adult DVDs. <laughs> Which got a knowing smirk from all the, like, very fluent English speakers, but went over the heads of all of our bosses. <laughs> anyway, one of our other co yeah, yeah, our colleague was like, oh, surely he didn't do it deliberately. You wouldn't do that deliberately in a demo. And then everyone else in the office just, like, exchanged the knowing look, like, of course he fucking did it deliberately. <laughs> 
course I did. It was a great joke, and I stand by the decision. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. We did some influences. We did some design. Uh, we do have to get to the AI issue in this. Do you want to? Do you want to get into that? Um, yeah. Let's talk about how. like the things I observe that to be. I don't claim to be the truth. Um, is this the first movie with like a real AI? I can't. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, Star Trek has the computer. But it, it doesn't seem, Hal seems kind of sentient. Also, this film did start filming in 65, so. Yeah. Uh, it, true, it took true. them like two years to make this, which well, makes it, sense. It, yeah, you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um... When we get to Forbidden Planet, uh, we'll see, but I, I don't know if that has an AI. I think it just has a computer. I think, yeah. I, think well, I mean, films have done robots, which kind of had an AI. But the AI is just this presence around you. But not this functional thing, like controlling like That's life I mean. support and yeah, yeah, all yeah. of that. You know, I mean, they're living in the smart home, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's just, just do the obvious thing first. How's name, right? The three, that's like one letter up from IBM. I didn't say that. <laughs> yeah. um, that uh, Arthur C. Clarke claims that is coincidence, although he, he was like he would change the name if he knew that. Right. <laughs> uh, it means um, heuristic algorithm computer. I'm not oh, quite yeah, sure what heuristic does. means. Right. I'm not sure. It's, yeah. Anyway, he but, claimed that. He was like, really? That's amazing. <laughs> but um, if we are talking about that as a coincidence, um, there's another company which is called Hal, Hal Lavar. How Laboratories, which did deliberately do it as the one there down from IBM. Yeah. They're the company that made Kirby. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I, IBM has a lot of product placement here, too. Yeah. You see the monitors, it's often IBM underneath. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh. yeah, those basic, those big iPads that they've got. Oh, I was about to say, I always thought, I was like, why is it that, when I was watching as a kid, I was like, why are, is it all, is, no, I couldn't watch out a strange angle, is it? Yeah, and now, you watch it now, it's like, oh, those are iPads. Yeah, it's so <laughs> weird to see. Yeah, um, I also heard that Samsung had their loss, or not loss, or Apple's loss to a Samsung. Right. And Samsung's um, defense, actually, part of it was that you could see the tablets in this movie long before Apple made their iPads. Yeah, lots <laughs> of sci-fi has, essentially, tablets. Like, yeah, yeah. Start, the card has, like, tablets. Deep Space Nine, they actually start using them in, like, um, normal ways. There's uh, one where... I don't. I, maybe it's Bashir on on Deep Space Nine is trying to tell Dax to go away. And he kind of types a message discreetly on his pad and shows it to her. Like, oh, that's how people actually use these things yeah. now, <laughs> which is amazing. Wow. And, and again, they're watch, they're sitting there, you know, watching BBC on their iPads. Yeah, or, using them for video calls and stuff, exactly I, like a real. I did just call them iPads again. That that kind of puts a hole in Samsung's uh, theory. See, but we are I, recording this on I've iPad. Never owned an iPad to me. They are tablets. Like my tablet is Kindle. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've always... I'm, I'm not an Apple geek. It's just uh, my wife got an iPad, I, and then it became mine, and then I well, got once, an iPhone. Once you're in the infrastructure, it's hard to get out, right? Yeah, I have to rebuy all my apps. Exactly. I bought all the apps. I don't want out now. Uh, on, on, That's how they get you, man. Yeah, on laptops... They make you part of the system. On laptops, I'm a Windows guy. I want to get under the hood. Yeah. Um, but... You know, with, with mobile mobile stuff, I do like Apple, where it just works. Um, Hal is Apple. You can't really screw with him, can you? Unless you yeah, really... you have to unplug him. Yeah, yeah. you got to crawl in and do a sequence, right? You, I mean, you got to 
No, you have to go to an authorized HAL dealer. No, um, and again, like, that's another scene which every sci-fi since has ripped off, right? The AI dying and the voice goes slow. Oh, a, a bicycle built for two actually is the first synthesized song done by a computer. Huh. About 10 years before that, you can find the recording, I've heard it, but it's that was actually the first song sung by a computer, so huh. that's why they chose it here to be the, the last song sung by Hal, well, at least until they made a sequel, but hey, Kubrick wasn't into that. Well, that's a different Hal anyway, right? That's like, or is it? I can't remember. No, it's the same Hal. They go back to, oh, okay. this is the movie, I don't know about the book, but in the movie they go, they find the original Discovery, which is now like encrusted in like space rust yeah they turn Hal back on and the whole problem was um they explain he goes nuts in this film because he had the conflicting orders of following his crew's orders and keeping the mission secret right and that's why he basically went psychotic so he becomes like you know happy Hal in 2010 2010 whatever we're gonna call it <laughs> although um you mentioned in your notes and I picked up on this when I was watching it as well Dave and Frank both treat Hal very differently Oh yeah, Frank's a bastard. Where um, Dave adds, please and yeah. Oh, well, it's um, we talked about it with Star Wars as well, like how you treat the droids, right? It tells you about a person. Yeah. Um, they don't know for sure whether Hal has feelings or not, but Dave's just, oh, I'll say please. It's the nice thing to do. Whereas Frank is just like, do this, do that. Pull me in. At the same time, though, look, I wonder how. I, I guess I don't use voice activated stuff, so I don't talk to my computers. But uh, right. I feel like when I have them. I, I, I've typed please in before, let's put it that way. Well, if I had one of the, like, the Alexa things that, like, does my house. Like sorry for anyone listening you. who just, I just set off your Amazon device. I probably would be throwing in pleases and stuff. Alexa. <clears throat> Alexa, send $100 to Luke Summerhay's Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> See if that works. <laughs> but, um... If I, the only time I use voice activation is just literally to Google a phrase. So if I put please in there, it's going to Google the word please. Oh, yeah, so you don't do it to Google. But Google's a bastard anyway. Google's going to destroy our... Oh, you going first Google or Apple. Yeah. I, I, th- I, I go Google. They got? I, go, I, think, I think Apple, most of their um, nasty space dust comes from the fact that Steve Jobs was an asshole. Well, <laughs> their business is in hardware mostly, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Google just, their business is in data. Yeah, Google's They got, don't even sell you products. They just take your information and give you the product. What was it? Google created their own AI and it became, what, racist within like 24 yeah. hours? <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, Hal is doing a lot better than that. It's almost like it was created by 500 white guys. You had no concept of... Oh, the book and the movie do have um, discrepancies on... Uh, I think Kubrick... In the movie, they say 1992, Hal was turned on. And Clark oh. was like, no, Hal should be more like a child. So right. his date was 97. So in um, 97, somebody hosted like a Hal birthday event and invited Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke. Clarke showed up by satellite because it was in Sri Lanka. Kubrick was like, no, it's too late. That was 1992. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's some pettiness. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like you're late. You showed up six, uh, five years ago. Excuse me. My math was off for simple math. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about this then. Um, obviously, we've covered a lot of sci-fi where the date it's set has passed, right? Yeah. This one isn't far off in terms of the tech. Yeah, just the space. I mean, we probably had the space. We could stuff, do but... this. We just, like I said at the start, 
for some reason they decided it's more profitable to keep fighting wars than to do space stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I mentioned IBM as the product placement, and the yeah. place this has aged worst is that Pan Am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else? Pan Am. Um, oh, uh, Whirlpool. I mean, the BBC still it's, exists. But it's BBC 12 here, which is kind of funny. Yeah. They're still only up to like three, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, Back to the Future 2 with uh, Jaws 15. Yeah. Is 15 right? Uh, you can email me if I'm wrong on that. <laughs> I remember it's Jaws 10, but I don't know if You that's... might be right. I don't remember. It's been a little while since I've watched Back to the Future. We'll be doing those ones soon because they're running in the theaters here. So Last time I tried to put it on, I, put, uh, I think my daughter was like seven at the time. Yeah. My wife was like, no, no, she's not quite old enough for it. I was like, I saw when I was six. <laughs> Well, the first one, at least. But yeah. it's got all the, the weird incest stuff. I guess that's where he's getting there. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> that's for a different time, because this movie doesn't have that. Nope. <laughs> this, this movie barely has females at all. <laughs> okay, there's the Russian scientist. Is, is she it? No, well, there's the flight attendant. <laughs> oh, she didn't talk, though, does she? <laughs> there's a daughter. Oh, right, 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 right. That would be a, a female. Maybe some of the apes. You don't know. We don't know. Hey, the, we yeah, I don't, I don't, if this film came out today, there's no way the whole crew would have been five white men. <laughs> <laughs> um, the creator of How, though, is listed as uh, Dr. Chandra. Huh. Again, Arthur C. Clarke's Sri Lanka connection. Yeah. Um, uh, another Chandra, there's uh, Chandra Wick Ramses. He's a real scientist. Okay. Uh, who was friends with Arthur C. Clarke and is. Um, one of the guys that's pushing the uh, panspermia idea. Okay. Which this movie would be down with. That's, that's uh, disregard the sperm part. Uh, that's <laughs> the idea that asteroids would carry biological material, DNA, yeah. and affect planets when they, when they land. Although, um, my problem with that has always been that it still has to start somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, it has so to start I've somewhere. I've always thought, like, panspermia doesn't really explain anything. It just... It just says it Passes the buck. <laughs> it just says it... Yeah, it passes the buck, says it didn't start here. There's, um... <laughs> crap like 2000s movie like Mission to Mars one of those where at the end they find out that Mars like inseminated Earth but it's like okay but where did Mars life come from this doesn't but they act like that's the explanation of life (laughs) (laughs) yeah but Mars still had to get life well that's a fun new wrinkle right (laughs) yeah like I don't dislike it as a thing but it just it feels kind of uh, okay, fine. Next. Like they, they hadn't found the face on Mars when they did this movie. You think that would have worked? Like, they find the face on Mars and send the discovery there? It's less interesting than the monolith. Because Mars is too close, too. Well, yeah, but also just, like, the face is too human. Yeah. And then it changes uh, with the light, because yeah. you just see faces. I mean, hey, there could be a face there that someone made. I don't know. But, um, you know, when the light changes, it doesn't look quite as much like a face. Right. <laughs> Whereas there's no mistaking just a perfect rectangle. Yeah, I don't believe in anything. I mean, man, there could be things on Mars. There could not be things on Mars. I, I'm happy to think about it either way. Well, know? like um, my thing with the moon landings, maybe you could convince me it's not real. Maybe you convince me it was real. I find it more comforting to believe it happened. It's more comforting to believe it happened, but it's very fascinating to look at reasons it didn't. But again, I don't believe it did. I don't believe it didn't. I assume it probably did, but I'm not going to believe it, right? Because <laughs> I don't need to. But man, I wish Northrop Gummond would just build rockets to send people to space again instead of blow up Irani children. (laughs) I mean, the US government spends $750 billion on the military for wars, which I can't, you can't explain to me how those benefit anyone (laughs) other than maybe getting oil. They benefit the people that want to make some money. Exactly, but they could make that money building spaceships. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's why we like SpaceX. So 
But we don't. Elon Musk is now weird, right? At the same time, is he weird because he's building spaceships? And they're he's like, like no. weird and good and bad at the same. I really can't put my finger on it. It's definitely egotistical. Yeah, but and that he, like he could do more good with his money rather than trying to build Iron Man inventions to make him feel like he's got a big dick. Well, again, Steve but, Jobs like, is egotistical, but hey, I like my iPad here. He's <laughs> that like trying to do thing. some good. Like he recently did that thing. He released all the um, Tesla patents. Mm. I've heard that 60% of Tesla's writings are still under wraps. Huh. Oh, and do you know who took... So, I mean, Tesla was in the car. Oh, the car. I'm talking <laughs> about Tesla, the Tesla dude. Okay, no, sorry. Still on, just on Elon Musk. Like, I think his heart is in the right place, but he's got, like, an insane billionaire white guy idea of what is good and bad. And he could just be helping, you know, with poverty and stuff. <laughs> well, we're buying a nuts like constantly trying to so. invent subways. <laughs> do you know what happened to Tesla's materials? Um, when he died, he was living. In, he was basically destitute, almost destitute, living in a New York hotel. They were bought by not bought. Oh, Someone came in because they had they because he you know he was a scientist of note, right? Yeah. And it was uh, Donald Trump's great uncle. Apparently, was huh. the agent that took Tesla's materials. <laughs> that that's why Trump is a time traveler. That's how he made it happen. Because I lost with all the shit. Happened. <laughs> Pure. Idiocy. <laughs> I, I, I like to think he's time traveling and just trying to, yeah. No. He's just a big dumb idiot who appeals to other big dumb idiots. I know you're right, but it's just fun to be <laughs> a time traveling weirdo. <laughs> I don't know. I still think it would be really funny if it turns out that actually Trump was right all along and he has defeated the evil vampire Peter Fowling, but no, it's, no it, he's just a bad cunt. It, it's just the whole thing now. Uh, getting political is it's just crime boss against crime boss. Yeah. You got one set of assholes button heads against another set of assholes. That's why we need a Batman to come in and just bust all their heads. Next week, Batman. That's real, by the way, but uh, which one? <laughs> <laughs> I've just been looking at your notes, and you've got here, uh, we did not get the best child actor. This, this is on the video phone, right? He's, yeah, he's talking to his daughter. Yeah, he? yeah. Is, is she even an actor? It almost feels like she's reading some script that's hanging up behind the camera. That is Vivian Kubrick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that explains it. <laughs> she has an English accent because Kubrick moved to um, uh, the UK in 1961. Right. So she grew up with the accent. Um, the other interesting thing is we know that's one of the first things filmed for this because she's clearly younger than five. She's born in 1960, so right. it was 1965. So that was one of the first things they shot. Huh. But yep. yeah, yes, yeah, he probably should have, you know, had casting get into that one. But the weird thing is, because I, the joke would be oh, like, oh, yeah, he, you know, does work with children. But Kubrick has done very good work with children because of The Shining. Yeah. He <laughs> like, has a very prominent role for a child actor, and he does really well. Well, he was and, too, like, he was too busy well. doing, like, mental terrorism with Shelley Duvall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, mental terror, Stanley Kubrick. But, like, yeah, you know, it is an art to get children to fucking act good. That's why Spielberg is known for it, because he can deal with children. And animals. Well, they aren't animals. Oh, oh that's the other thing. Um, now, really, they didn't have an Academy Award for uh, makeup. Until 1981 for American Werewolf in London. Right. But the joke here was um, Planet of the Apes won that because no one could tell these were not 
monkeys or babes or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, there were points where I wasn't sure, like when it closed up on their mouth and stuff. No, that was just, that was good makeup. Yeah, really good makeup. <laughs> I assume that was a real cheetah, though. They had a, yeah, that was a real cheetah. <laughs> like, was there just a guy in there hoping he, the, the cheetah didn't buy through the costume? You could, I don't know, you could bring in... I, I guess to, if it was like somewhat tame, it's basically just playing with him like a dog does. Yeah, maybe it was a baby cheetah and like a tiny, tiny actor. It's just a, just a normal house cat and a child. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fun. Does this film, 2001, still hold up in the year 2020? Numerology and chronology would say no. <laughs> yeah, um, every single shot of this film is still iconic and perfect. So, yes. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. as we've discussed, like, in terms of pacing and, like, modern filmmaking, this isn't a film where I can just say to, you know, any of my friends, my girlfriend, whatever... Oh, let's stick a film on, let's watch this film. That didn't work for me, twice no, at least. This is a film you sit down and you're like, okay, this is like going to an orchestra, going to a play. Like, it's I no played an orchestra, going. though. <laughs> right, but it, that's not like a... I got you. <laughs> you just bang it on because you fancy it thing. That's a, I'm sitting down for some culture. You want to know how I put this film on um, for the most part in the past 15, 20 years? Gone. I go directly to Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite... And at that moment, I start Pink Floyd's Echoes. Okay. Time, you've heard about Pink Floyd and Dark Side of the Moon? Yeah. When I was student teaching, the guy ahead of me decided one day he was just going to do Dark Side of the Moon and The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Like, yeah. For every class because he's lazy. It uh, doesn't work. Um, <laughs> however, <laughs> if you start Echoes, Pink Floyd's Echoes, it's on their album Metal. When the title card, Jupiter and the Infinite, comes up... Um, Works perfectly when the when the thematic images changes, the music changes. It ends right when the space baby fades out. Uh, the music in the movie, of course, is fantastic, but it's kind of fun to do with Pink Floyd too. Huh? I'm gonna have to give that a go now. Yeah, there's an M eighty three song that intentionally did that, and it's a really long title. I I apologize, um, I forgot the name, but you know, look up M eighty three two thousand one. You'll you'll probably come across that too. Although that also just sounds like a bunch of codes, so who knows what you'll get. M83 2001. It's going to send you to like the Pentagon database. <laughs> it's just going to be some freaking microphone equipment. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this film is still phenomenal. It's still phenomenal, but I said earlier that in a way, Interstellar has sort of like Scratch that itch for me in the for past me, years. Inter like I said, I can I can put Interstellar on. It's just I want a film. Mm. Whereas this for me is a not that regularly. This is a sit ritual. Down and make a night of it. This right? is a ceremony. I mean, Kubrick probably meant this movie as some weird Masonic ritual. Uh, but like <laughs> this, if this movie was any less good than it is, it would be really pretentious. It is really pretentious. Right, it but just it works. It, yeah, it's. <laughs> It's pretentious, but it's also correct. It is that good, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like um, people who are really full of themselves. You get away with it if you actually can back it up, right? Yeah. And this is a film which is full of itself, but it backs it up. Well, I guess that's that's Kubrick's genius. He's always completely full of himself, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I've never gotten through Barry Lyndon, I will admit that. Okay. Um, well, like I said, I've not seen as much Kubrick as you. Uh, full Metal Jacket, I usually just watch the first half. 
That's like that's the one where the first half is like boot camp and then it goes to the yeah war, Vincent right? D'Onofrio. Um, uh, what what's the the drill sergeant's name? Anyway, uh, I don't know who you mean, but yeah, like, he's Lermy Garney. I'm I'm probably getting the right syllables, but mixing You're them having up. like a stroke. It sounds like. <laughs> it does. Anyway, he he was he was so good. Um, yeah, but after that boot camp, you turn it off. Two thousand one, you actually the first for me. The hurdles getting through the monkeys. <laughs> It wasn't this time, but I haven't seen it in like fifteen years, right? Mm. But yeah, this once it got to the space stuff, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, because I'm I'm cool. I, I well, no, once the monolith appeared, but before that, there was just monkeys being monkeys. No, <laughs> even even the monolith and monkeys, I get bored by. It. But I don't get bored by you know Strauss and space. Yeah, probably because of nothing else, I can sit there and imagine what my part to play is because I have a part to play in that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but no, it's cool in Homer Simpson. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Strauss and Homer's also fantastic. Um, so, this uh, movie... Another was, good reference I just remembered in Zoolander, when at the end he smashes open the computer to find the files. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's I in the computer! Oh! Smash. I can't remember if they do use that music, but I kind of remember. They don't, point. they don't. It's oh, no, but they're... there is a different scene where they do. I th- I, yeah, that was. I remember Ben Stiller and Owen Wilson acting like monkeys. To there is something two thousand one here. I don't think it's that scene, but that's no. someone to quote. Yeah, yeah. Which is why you say we don't usually do comedies because you just end up quoting them. Not that that. Well, hey, you could you could like pass out with sci-fi if you want. It's got the mind control. Um, <laughs> that's that's a stretch. It does have Bowie too. Get back to us in three years. Maybe we'll do some adventure. <laughs> Sci-fi people. Maybe in three years I'll finally have watched Zoolander two. <laughs> Probably not though. I've not heard great. A- things. Anchorman two is better. Yeah, but, I've not seen that yet. Okay, there's one reason to watch Zoolander both, two. In both of those cases, I would rather just watch the original again. No, no. There's two reasons to watch Zoolander two, and it's seeing Ben Stiller and Os- Owen Wilson's characters um, when they first show up in the movies. Right. I don't want to spoil the joke too hard, but when they bur- birth both. When they <laughs> you are having a stroke. <laughs> when they both first show up, like their image is so ridiculous. Okay. Like it's as good as any jokes in Zoolander. Um, otherwise, it's a shadow. Right. But um, uh, Anchorman Two Man, that's a good one. Get okay, I will give it that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I, I guess we're wrapping up on two thousand one because I'm just talking about Zoolander. Yeah, we're talking now. about utterly unrelated things now. So, uh, you, let's plug away. Okay. Well, yeah. You can follow this show on Twitter at MLSFSPod. Please do. You know, follow us there. Like and subscribe on. No, that's YouTube. What do you do on iTunes? Rate and review. I Five might, stars only. If I get unlazy, I might. Maybe this will be on YouTube. We'll see. Yeah, I still haven't put all my Pokemon episodes on YouTube, and they're like five minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might be starting with uh, King Kong for that one. We'll see. Right. Uh, hey, I might be lying by the time you hear this. <laughs> but yeah, if, obviously, if you do that, then I'll share it and stuff. Um, that should probably be a conversation we have off mic. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah also, but yeah, make sure you rate and review, follow us, and then... You want to talk about the Pokemon podcast? Oh, I was actually <laughs> going to talk about this one a little bit more. <laughs> Hey, okay. Um, coming up soon, we've got... So, for the month of February, we're going to be doing films which start with F. <laughs> um, the first of those will be... It's going to be called Element. Fuck You February. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the first one of those will be Fifth Element, our first uh, request from a listener. So, seriously, if you are out there listening and there's a sci-fi film you want to hear us talk about, get in touch. We've not really got, like, a strict rule set or schedule, so... 
If you, we can you, convince ourselves it's sci-fi, we'll cover it. You once said if we got, like, mental emanations from someone, too. Uh, so that's where Flash Gordon comes from. I didn't get a message, but I got, like, a vibration to do that one. Huh, okay. So, so yeah, either... You can try so, that, too, if you want. You can tweet at us, MLSFSpod. You can go on Facebook, search for Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. Or look for us in the astral plane and tell us. I was going to say, or just close your eyes at night, center yourself... And reach out with your feelings, and you'll find us. And if you did that and told me Flash Gordon, definitely get back to us by Twitter or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Please confirm. <laughs> or just send Matt an even stronger emanation of your name, and we'll message you. <laughs> that would be cool. Um, Matt, close your eyes right now. What's the first name that comes to you? Gary Lockwood, because he's in this movie. Shit. He's dead, too, I think. Okay, well, I'm not going to try and tweet Gary Lockwood, then. <laughs> William Norwood. Is that, is that just the name that came to you? Yeah. Okay, I'm searching for him on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, while well, I say that, I'm going to plug myself. Usually Luke is nice enough to do this, but if you go to rovingsagemedia.bandcamp.com, uh, you've been hearing the music between the bits. I'm going to throw a bit at the end. And most of it is free. Uh, there's two new albums released on December 28th. They are $2.80, going with that 28 numerology. If you'd like to support there that's awesome but you know listen to some other stuff for free i still need to put up the album that actually has our theme song on it but we'll, we'll do that someday. you haven't done that yet i thought that was on the one you just did no uh-huh. no that has fuck the power okay okay no that's, but i mean our theme song is not publicly available as a song it is on the that's on damagetape.bandcamp.com and i just haven't moved it yet <laughs> hey if you really want a theme song it's damagetape.bandcamp.com uh, and i recently did to have someone buy albums from there, so nice. I guess you go there too if you want. Um, anyway, William Norbit, what do you get? I got William Norwich, and I'm currently messaging him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, did you psychically message my pal that you want to hear a podcast about Flash Gordon? You've got to get back to the response on that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this has been Matt. He's an author. Oh, he's an author. He's okay. a listener, I'm sure. Hello, New York William. City. Mm, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, this has been Matt. This has been Luke. And you must... Get the fuck out of our sci-fi sanctuary. Open the sanctuary doors, Hal. Unless you're William Norwich, he's allowed in our sci-fi sanctuary. Because he's psychically messaged me. Like to see
of each section because I just couldn't quite remember exactly what they were I came on a page it was about um, fonts right like, talking about like apparently there's lots of different fonts with like tweaks made um, so it got to all the main tiles it also started to get to things that were on like the computer screens and things yeah cunt <laughs> yeah CNT <laughs> we, we both had that thought what control maybe yeah probably <laughs> But yeah, I just I, every time it just flashed up, big letters, CNT. So is that how calling Dave a cunt? Probably, because, uh, you know, how, since Dave is nice to Hal, Hal's like, oh, I'll play mind games with him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, every single time. Cunt, cunt, cunt. 